Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you today. I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to Proverbs chapter 9. Proverbs chapter 9. It has been so good to be in this book over these last several weeks of the the summer. I pray that God has been good to teach you what He would have to say to us through this. It's just been a joy to preach through these nine chapters this week. Pray for me this evening. We'll be leaving uh, shortly after our service this morning. I'm preaching tonight in Albertville, uh, Alabama, the Fellowship Church. Alan Atkins, a good friend of ours. Uh, you know Alan. Uh, he has invited me to preach there this evening. And so we'll be leaving, going up there. Pray for us as we travel. And again, I want to echo what Trent said. Jimmy and Nadia Dukes, just a tremendous couple, love the Lord Jesus, doing great work in Peru. You pray about how God obviously would lead you to give. But more than that, just be here tonight. Be here with your presence because that will be an encouragement to them. And I, I trust that as you hear Jimmy and Nadia that you're going to be blessed to hear what God has been doing in their lives. So I do want to challenge you to come back and be here for our, our 5 o'clock service this evening. I want to ask you to, to, as you get to chapter 9 of Proverbs, go to verse 1 and we're going to read the entire chapter 9, verse, all 18 verses. And then I want to bring a message called Evidence of a Wise Christian. In verse 1, it says, Wisdom has built her house. She has carved out her seven pillars. She has prepared her meat. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her female servants. She calls out from the highest points of the city. Whoever is inexperienced, enter here. To the one who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat my bread and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave inexperience behind and you will live. Pursue the way of understanding. The one who corrects a mocker will bring abuse on himself. The one who rebukes the wicked will get hurt. Don't rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke the wise and he will love you. Instruct the wise and he will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and he will learn more. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me your days will be many, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for your own benefit. If you mock, you alone will bear the consequences. Folly is a rowdy woman. She is gullible and knows nothing. She sits by the doorway of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling to those who pass by, who go straight ahead on their paths. Whoever is inexperienced, enter here. To the one who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten secretly is tasty. But he doesn't know that the departed spirits are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Lord, I pray this morning over these next few moments that you would teach us from your word on how to know that we are truly walking in wisdom as followers of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that we would not just simply be people who say that we are wise, but Lord, that our lives would give evidence of the fact that we are walking in the wisdom that is ours in Christ Jesus. Father, we give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, I, when I was in the fourth grade, uh, played football. It was my first year to play, and well, actually, I should just go ahead and tell you it was my last year to play. It was a long, illustrious career. And uh, we did a drill, which some of you guys, if you played football, you, you've probably heard of this drill. It was called Bull in the Ring. And I may have shared this story before, but I'm sharing it from a different perspective today. Uh, Bull in the Ring, basically the premise, or at least the way we did the drill, was we stood in a circle and the coach would call out one of the uh, players and he would go and stand in the circle. I guess he was the bull. And then he would call out another player's name and our job was to go and knock that guy, try to knock that guy to his feet or off of his feet onto the ground. I did okay. I, I, I had, had pretty good success with it, but there was this one guy on our team that year. And uh, I don't really know what his height and weight was back then, but it seemed to us as if he was about six foot eight, 300 pounds. He looked like he had been held back at least five times in school. And he, he was intimidating, he was loud, and several times he put guys on the ground, including yours truly. But there was this one guy on the team who was sort of little and scrawny, but he had a big mouth. Did y'all ever know anybody like that in school? And he loved to talk and run his mouth, and we could hear him in the circle. And he was telling everybody how he was going to knock everybody to the ground, and then came that time they put the big guy in the middle of the ring, and they called out the other guy's name, the one who had been running his mouth. And we all stood with great anticipation as he ran full speed toward the big, uh, big, tall, heavy guy, and they made contact with him. Have you ever seen a tennis ball fall off of a wall or bounce off of a wall? That is exactly what happened to him. It's as if he had turned into a tennis ball. He hit, he hit the other guy and just bounced off of him into the air and landed on the ground. He didn't say another word the rest of that practice or any practice after that about how he could knock anybody else down. He had come to earth, as they say. I share that story with you because a lot of times we will say that we are wise. We will say that uh, we are wise Christians. We will talk a good game, if you will. But then our lives don't give evidence of wisdom. So I want us to think about this morning for a few minutes, evidence of a wise Christian. How can we know? What are the markers that we can point to to say that we are truly walking in the wisdom of God? So if you are taking notes and are following along, I want to go to verses 8 and 9. Because in this passage, we, we, we have this comparison between Lady Wisdom, which we've already been introduced to earlier in Proverbs and Lady Folly. So wisdom and foolishness are sort of competing against one another for the affections of the heart of Solomon's son. And Solomon is giving this instruction to his son. In verse 8 he says, Don't rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke the wise, he will love you. Instruct the wise and he will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and he will learn more. Here's something that I think chapter 9 is teaching us about how we can know that we are walking in wisdom. First off, 
wise people receive correction. If you are truly walking in the wisdom of God, you will willingly receive the correction of others. Solomon says, don't rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. He says, rebuke the wise rather than trying to rebuke the the mocker or the one walking in foolishness because uh, the, the foolish will hate you for it, but the wise will love you for it when you try to rebuke them. So how do we respond to correction when it comes our way? When people bring rebuke into your life, do you thank them for it? Or do you resent them for it? How much correction can you hear before finding fault with the person that is bringing the rebuke into your life, questioning their motives, or simply just shutting them off? See, here's one of the problems that we, we tend to have in our lives. We surround ourselves with yes people. People that will tell us what they think we want to hear. Things that will make us feel good about ourselves. But sometimes you need someone in your life to help you see the weak points that you have. We've talked about this over time. You need need friends in your life. You need spiritual accountability in your life. Someone who's willing to come to you and say, there's something going on in your life that is not of God. Are you willing to receive that kind of correction? Now the humble person is quick to hear. They are slow to speak. They are slow to anger. And here's a, here's a key insight about people that are walking in wisdom. And I think the text shows us this. A wise person recognizes that there is usually more that they do not know than they do know. They're not a smart aleck. They recognize they don't have everything figured out. And so they see the value of having someone in their life who can teach them and correct them and rebuke them when needed to help them to grow more into the knowledge of the truth of the Scripture. You need people in your life like that because guess what? You don't know everything. And I don't know everything. And as long as I'm living in this life, As long as I'm breathing, as long as I'm coming to church, as long as I'm involved in a Sunday school class, as long as I'm reading the Scripture, there's so much more of God that I need to know, so much more of His wisdom that I need to attain. I never get to that place where I can say, you know what, I think I've got it all figured out. I'll just lay my Bible down over here and and, uh, just sort of sit back and relax because I have figured everything out. No. In humility you recognize that you don't know everything and that there are times in your life where you need to be corrected. When, you, when people rebuke you, when a close friend brings correction into your life, do you thank them for it or do you resent them for it? Oftentimes we resent them for it. Well, how could you question me? Why would you say that to me? That was hurtful to me. But they say it to help us. To grow. If you cannot accept a rebuke, it is not just because that is your personality type. You can't just look at it and say, well, I just, I'm just one of those people. I don't receive correction. Well, no. You can't blame it on your personality type. If you cannot accept a rebuke, if you cannot accept a correction from someone who has your best interest at heart, 
It is not a fault in your personality. Rather, it reveals that there may be idolatry in your life. Perhaps, maybe even worship of self. So, evidence of walking in wisdom is that I'm able to receive correction. But also, wisdom is the discernment to know who to correct and who not to correct. Notice the, 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 the language of these two verses. He's giving his son instruction. Don't rebuke a mocker. Rather, rebuke the wise, because the mocker will hate you. The wise person will love you for it. Instruct the wise person. They will grow in their wisdom and teach them, and they will learn more. So, so wisdom is the discernment to know who I need to correct and who I don't need to bother trying to correct. You do this by discerning the outcome. How, uh, for instance, will, will my correction be received by the one that I am trying to correct. And since Jesus is the wisdom of God, that means that being formed into the likeness of Christ is not just growing in a reduction of sinfulness, although that is a part of it, it is also growing in discernment. Looking at a situation and saying, uh, you know, do I, do I need to give correction here? Is there a rebuke that is needed? Can I, can I help this person? in love, see the error and, and, and find the path of wisdom? Or is my correction, is my rebuke going to fall on deaf ears and is it going to cause resentment and hatred and all of those things? And, and notice here what Solomon is saying. The description of the person who does not receive correction well, they are called a mocker. They mock it correction and rebuke. They don't want to have anything to do with it. They're just going to do things the way that they want to do them. And, and, and they're not interested to know what you think about it, but rather the person who receives that instruction with love is called wise. So wise people receive correction and through discernment that it comes through a relationship with Christ, we learn when and how to help our brothers and sisters in Christ walk in wisdom. Sometimes a rebuke is needed. But there are other times when I need to step back and wait. And you say, well, how do I know when to step back and wait? How do I know when to step forward and correct and rebuke? We trust in God. We stay rooted in His Word. We walk in His wisdom and God gives us the ability to discern what we need to do and when we need to do it. This is why it's a daily walk with Jesus. It's a daily surrender to His will. It's a daily commitment for you and I to walk in His Word and in His truth because every single day I am faced with decisions in my life where I need the perspective and the wisdom of God in my life. It's not just in the big decisions. Should I take this job or should I marry this person or should I go to school here or whatever those major decisions are in our lives. It's in those everyday decisions where I need discernment. Wise people recognize they don't have it all together and they receive correction with love but here's the second thing that we see in this passage wise people fear the Lord notice what verse 10 says the fear of the Lord 
is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So in this verse, we see this phrase that we see in other places in Scripture, the fear of the Lord. So what does that phrase mean? Because we hear it and we talk about it, fear God, but what does it mean to fear Him? To fear the Lord doesn't mean that you and I sit around terrified of God. It means rather that we recognize His power and we recognize and value who He is in our lives. It is a holy reverence for Him. I think a good, a good way to, to think about this, I, I've heard this illustrated, think about the sun. We, we fear the sun, at least we should. Most of us don't go, get up in the morning and think, well, what is the sun going to do to me today? Unless you're as pale as I am, and then you may actually think that. But you may not, even though you may not ask that question when you get up in the morning, you still recognize the power of the sun. We know that it is necessary for life, and get this, being in wrong relationship to it can end in death. Just ask somebody that maybe grew up and spent all their time outside and didn't put on sunscreen or any of those things, and in their older age, they're, they're dealing with skin cancer or people that, that uh, you know, they, they went to the beach all the time and they didn't take care of themselves and didn't protect themselves and all those issues that come with that. It's just, it's, it's a good example of... of of how we, we, we recognize the, the power of the Son and that being in wrong relationship with it can end in death. And so the starting point for practical wisdom is for us to be in a covenant relationship with the Lord. In other words, you cannot be wise without this relationship. And this is sort of a summary statement that I'm going to make because we've talked about this over the last several weeks. Wisdom is a person. Jesus Christ. And so you can't have wisdom without possessing this relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you're lost and you've never trusted in Jesus, you can read about wisdom, you can understand it as a concept, but you will never possess the wisdom of God unless you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And another thing about this wisdom that, that, that leads to the fear of the Lord is that there's no divide between the secular and the spiritual in our lives. If you're going to fear the Lord and walk in His wisdom and walk in His truth, it's not something that you put on on Sundays or Wednesdays or whenever it is you may come to church and then I have my, my secular life over here, which is what a lot of people tend to do. I, I come to church and I sing the songs of the faith, and I listen to the sermon and I sort of put on my spiritual hat. But then on Monday through Saturday, I have my secular life over here. People talk about it in our culture all the time. They say, well, separation of church and state, separation of church and state. But a lot of us live that out practically in our own lives. We, we put church and our relationship with God over here. And then we put everything else over here. And if you really fear the Lord and seek to walk in His wisdom, those two areas merge and they blend. And everywhere that I go and everything that I do, I'm walking in the fear of the God, fear of God. To fear God is to know how valuable that He is in your life. 
how much you depend on Him. And how foolish it would be to get yourself out of alignment with Him. I read just a couple of days ago. A guy by the name of Josh Harris, Joshua Harris, several years ago, he, he wrote a book called, get this, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. It came out like 20 years ago. I'll never forget I bought a copy of the book. I was a young college student. I bought a copy of the book. And I'll never forget the look on my mom's face when she saw that I bought the book. She thought, wait a minute, you kissed daddy goodbye? Uh, anyway, you're supposed to laugh at that. But she, she saw the book and thought, son, you're, you're not going to want to date girls anymore. I said, mom, it's not that. I said, I just, the, the premise of the book was it was dealing with the issue of purity and uh, saving ourselves for, for our, our spouse and, and uh, the, the typical way that we young people go about relationships and dating that there's a biblical way to look at that it was a very helpful book at that time Joshua Harris pastor and writer over the years a few days ago it came out that he uh, was divorcing his wife that there had been a separation that was taking place there had been some unfaithfulness in the marriage and, and then a couple of days after that after the announcement that he was separating from his wife the second announcement came out Joshua Harris posted on his Instagram account that he was no longer a Christian. Not only did he fall out of his marriage with his wife, but Josh Harris fell out of his faith. It's a tragic story of a life that got way out of alignment with God. Now listen carefully. If you show me a person who is attentive to their relationship with God, has a strong prayer life, who stays rooted in the Word of God, I'll show you a person who has learned to fear the Lord. But then number three, wise people value fellowship with God above everything else. It's the, it's the other thing that, that really stands out in this passage we see the contrast between Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. But what's interesting about this comparison in this ninth chapter is how uh, similar the women are. Both are at the same location. Notice in verses uh, 4 and 5. Whoever is inexperienced, enter here. To the one who lacks sense, come eat my bread, drink the wine I've mixed. This, this lady wisdom here, she has built her house. In verse 1 it says she's built her house, she's carved out her seven pillars. Both of them, and then when you, when you look at the, the lady foolishness toward the end of the chapter, both of them are at the same location. They're at the highest point of the city. And both of them are calling out uh, to people as they pass by. Both of them have prepared their houses for guests and both appeal especially if you notice the text they appeal to the young because wisdom in, in verse 4 whoever is inexperienced in is here inexperienced again speaks to the to the young to the youth but foolishness does exactly the same thing in verse 16 whoever is inexperienced enter here to the one who lacks sense she gives her invitation but whereas wisdom calls out to those who are humble and fear God, 
folly or foolishness appeals to those who want immediate satisfaction. Wisdom says, whoever is inexperienced, enter here. To the one who lacks sense, she says, come and eat my bread and drink the wine that I've mixed. Folly says, whoever is inexperienced, same thing, enter here. To the one who lacks sense, listen to what Lady Folly says. To the one who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread that is eaten secretly is tasty. In, in other words, foolishness is saying to us, who cares where it came from? If it tastes good, take it. Eat of it. It's an interesting thought about foolishness that maybe we've missed as we've thought about it over time, but to be foolish doesn't usually mean that you hate God. I know a lot of people who walk in foolishness that they would tell you that they love Jesus, that they want to honor Him. But, but the foolish, it's not necessarily that they hate Him, they just really want some bread. They want the bread of success or the bread of romance or sex or family or pleasure. And they get it in their mind that if you, if you have to temporarily leave, temporarily leave God behind to get it, then so be it. If I have to put my relationship with God on the back burner, I desire this thing so much that I'll chase after it. Doesn't mean that, the, that I hate God, but this thing over here, I desire it so much. Maybe you're here this morning and you are considering that choice right now. Some of you young people here, the temptation to have sex before you're married. For those of us in the work field, maybe you're determined to get up that ladder at your job. Even if you have to leave your family behind or maybe you have to sacrifice some of your integrity. Maybe it's in regards to building up your, your wealth, your nest egg. Even if you disobey God's commands or you don't give generously to the work of the Lord in order to do it. Maybe you're here today and someone's hurt you, someone has wronged you, and you are making the choice to get vengeance for yourself because that feels better to you than letting God handle it. If you listen to the voice of foolishness, you might just get what she promises. But wisdom says it is better to do things God's way. Foolishness talks about stolen bread in verse 17. Stolen bread may taste sweet. But Proverbs chapter 20 verse 17 says it turns to gravel in your belly. But in contrast, the book of Proverbs tells us in chapter 9 that those who walk in wisdom, that their days will be many. Notice verse 11. By me, your days will be many and years will be added to your life. What looks good over here will, may, may satisfy, but it will only satisfy for a season. It will leave us feeling empty and unsatisfied and disappointed and lost. But wisdom and the fear of God will lead us to life. The gratification that comes from pleasing God, listen to this, lasts longer and is more satisfying than what stolen bread can, revive, can provide. Because every day, in every word, in every action, in every thought, 
Every one of us is seeking one of these forms of gratification. The question for us is, which one are we seeking today? Is my life giving evidence to the fact that, that I'm turning from foolishness and that I'm turning to Christ and His wisdom and that I'm finding my satisfaction not in the temporary things of this life, but rather I'm finding my satisfaction in the eternal things of God.